Hey everyone, it's Steven, back at it again with another Old Head Podcast. Before I begin, I just want to take a second to thank everyone for continuing to listen to these. This is my 20th podcast. It's been six months now that I've been doing these, and it's been an interesting ride, sort of figuring out my voice when it comes to being a podcaster, and now figuring out my voice when it comes to being a YouTuber as well. And I appreciate everyone that's been watching those videos. If you haven't, you can go look me up on YouTube under Old Head. There's a shitload of videos on vinyl and rock and metal and, and shit. More of a short form version of this. And that's probably why these podcasts are a little more special to me. Because I feel like I, I'm better at these. I feel like when I have a little bit more time to get my thoughts across, I feel like everyone gets a better experience. I don't know. I guess there's positives on both sides, but either way, thank you for continuing to watch and listen. And I haven't said this in a while, but please feel free to send me any ideas you might have for an episode of this podcast or a video. You can send them to oldheadpodcast at gmail.com or if you're following me on any kind of social media, just drop me a message and give me your idea. I'm actually toying with the idea of doing an AMA episode, which means ask me anything. So um, if any of you want to drop me some questions, I'll just get the ball rolling on this. If you have any questions about anything, please send them to oldheadpodcast at gmail.com and I'll start accruing some questions and then hopefully put together an AMA episode fairly soon. So anyway, let's get to what we're talking about today. Today's topic came about simply because we are on the verge of entering a new decade. We will be entering the 20s. <laughs> I guess it is the 20s. We'll be entering the roaring 20s of the 21st century. But anyway, that got me thinking about the first time I remember going into a new decade. Now, I was born in 78, so obviously I went through another one, but I don't remember that. I was two, so I have no idea. But I remember 1989 going into 1990. At that point, I would have been 11, almost 12, and I was already listening to a lot of music. At that point, my favorites would have probably been Anthrax, State of Euphoria, uh, Faith No More, The Real Thing, and almost certainly uh, Dr. Feelgood by Motley Crue. Now, it's interesting to think about the 90s now because when I say the 90s, there are immediately some thoughts that that phrase conjures up. And a lot of it revolves around alternative music, grunge, and really a lot of pushing boundaries. That was kind of a thing in the 90s. But when 1989 became 1990, it was 
kind of still business as usual when it came to 80s music. The majority of the things that were happening in 1990 did not lead anyone to believe that there was going to be this big new music explosion in the 90s. And you know what? Maybe that's part of why it ended up happening, because you're starting this new decade, and really, when 1990 rolled around, some of the hit songs in 1990 were Cherry Pie by Warrant, uh, High Enough by Damn Yankees. Um, You had uh, Blaze of Glory by John Bon Jovi. From the Young Guns 2 soundtrack, side note, both Young Guns movies are two of my favorite movies of all time, but let's not go off on a tangent about those. But also, you had a a hit song from Tesla. If everyone remembers, they actually had a hit doing an acoustic cover of an old song called Signs, and and that was everywhere on MTV. And you also had the album Flesh and Blood, By Poison, you had Unskinny Bop. How could we forget that? Isn't it interesting to think that songs like that, Unskinny Bop, Cherry Pie, More Than Words by Extreme, those are not 80s songs. Those are 90s songs. In hindsight, that seems fucking weird. But nevertheless, these... 80s hair metal hard rock guys were still kicking it in 1990. You had uh, Heartbreak Station by Cinderella came out. Uh, Detonator by Rat also came out that year. And so the beginning of the 90s kind of seemed like, hey, welcome to the 90s. Here's more of the same. But when it comes to things carrying over from the 80s, the uh, uh, genre that excites me the most when I'm talking about 1990 is thrash metal because by the end of the 80s thrash metal had started being recognized by major labels and all sorts of thrash bands even on their first album were being signed up for major label deals and you had some great thrash metal albums that came out in 1990 You had uh, Act 3 from Death Angel. That came out on Geffen Records. Uh, You had uh, When the Storm Comes Down from Flotsam and Jetsam. That was on MCA Records. These were big labels at the time. Souls of Black from Testament. That was on Atlantic, I believe. But the best things that came out in 1990 for me were three albums that ended up leading to one of the greatest concert tours ever, in my opinion, and that was the Clash of the Titans tour. So those albums were Persistence of Time by Anthrax, Rust in Peace by Megadeth, and Seasons in the Abyss from Slayer. Three fucking amazing albums, and then those three bands went on tour together. Now, obviously, I was too young, so I didn't get to see this monumental motherfucker of a tour. But you know what? If I had a time machine, that's one of the things I would go back in time to do. And opening up for those three amazing thrash metal bands, who did we have? We had Alice in Chains. 
1990 also brought us the debut album Facelift by Alice in Chains. Little did we know them and their contemporaries from Seattle and the surrounding area would end up changing the face of rock music just one or two years later. But in 1990, the fine gentlemen in Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer took Alice in Chains out to be their opening act. Now, Alice in Chains actually wasn't intended to be the opening act for that tour. That was supposed to be Death Angel, but unfortunately Death Angel had a very bad bus accident where their drummer was critically injured and the band ended up breaking up for a while. And you know what? That also would have been a really badass lineup for that tour. But knowing what we know now about what happened in the 90s, it's very interesting to me that this badass thrash metal tour had Alice in Chains as the opening act. I kind of like that it worked out that way. I feel bad for Death Angel, but you know, those guys eventually came back and they've been doing their shit again for years now. But at the time, Alice in Chains was an interesting choice, even though grunge had not yet become a word that anybody used, and even alternative rock was, for the most part, something that was still relegated to college radio stations and whatnot. But there were more sort of hard rockin' alternative bands that were making a splash. Uh, In 1990, uh, you had James Addiction, who released the album Ritual de lo Habitual. I think that's how you say it. But that album was a pretty big success in 1990. And then on the same sort of heavy alternative rock tip, you had Living Color with Time's Up. That's a fucking great album. That came out in 1990. You had King's X with Faith, Hope, Love. That's my favorite King's X album. And all these sort of fringe rock bands were starting to have a little bit of success. And maybe that was kind of an indicator that something might end up happening around the corner. But all of that would end up kind of being a movement that was carried on by a large group of bands. By the time Nirvana released Nevermind in 1991, I feel like a lot of other bands had already sort of warmed up the waters for them, so to speak. They were just the right band in the right place at the right time. But while we're talking about 1990, I would be foolish to not mention a band that was also doing something new and kind of doing it on their own. In 1990, Pantera released the album Cowboys from Hell. At that point, when that album came out, they didn't sound like anybody else. Now, if you want to make that exhorter argument, you can go right ahead, but that is a very thin comparison that rests largely on the fact that the two vocalists kind of sound similar. If you really compare the music, sure, I guess they both had thrashiness and a little bit of groove, but that's about it. That's an argument for a hipster metal circle jerk, and I don't want to be a part of it. In 1990, Pantera really stood out from the crowd when it came to metal. I mean, most metal bands, even though they were putting out amazing albums, those albums were really just better versions of what they had already been doing. 
Or in the case of somebody like Iron Maiden, they were putting out an album that wasn't quite as good as what they'd been doing. 1990 saw them release the album No Prayer for the Dying, which is actually an album that I really like. But compared to all of the albums before it, it was kind of a step down. But on the other hand, there were some young, upcoming bands who were pushing the boundaries of metal. Two bands would release their debut albums in 1990. Two bands that were part of a burgeoning subgenre that I would, in a few years, become very obsessed with. Those two bands are Deicide and Cannibal Corpse, two of the best death metal bands from that era, in my opinion. Now, Morbid Angel and Obituary had already released their first albums and were already going, but I think the arrival of bands like Deicide and Cannibal Corpse really started to solidify the idea that death metal was going to be a game-changing musical movement. And it's really interesting now that you think about it because, yeah, all of this death metal was happening underground. And at the same time, you had this whole movement of bands that would eventually be called grunge bands. And both of those groups of bands were pushing the intensity of their respective corners of the rock and roll world. In just a few short years, grunge and death metal would both become major label styles of music. Grunge being the more commercially successful of the two, obviously, but nevertheless, in hindsight, it's clear that the music that the major labels were releasing in 1990 was no longer what a growing amount of the public really wanted to hear. But I think the majority of the mainstream listening public didn't really know that they wanted to hear something different. Or maybe they had no idea that something different was out there. In 1990, I didn't know anything about death metal. And I had certainly never heard of Nirvana, even though they already had an album out. And so that makes 1990 kind of an interesting year because it's kind of a transition year. Nothing really big happened in 1990 when it comes to rock and metal. There were no huge albums. And yet, one year later, we would have multiple huge rock and metal albums, all of which brought something different to the table. I'm talking Nirvana, never mind. Pearl Jam, 10, that was a massive album, like it or not. But we also ended up getting a new album by Guns N' Roses that pushed the boundaries of what they were already doing and ended up reaching an even wider audience. And also, we would get arguably the biggest heavy metal album ever released, the Black Album. And honestly, all four of those albums were very important to me in 1991 and are very important to me now. But for those of us who were living in 1990, we were just going to have to wait. At least we already had 
one of the best metal albums ever made, Rust in Peace, to tie us over. And, at the very least, we had Unskinny Bop, and almost 30 years down the line, and I still have no fucking idea what the fuck an Unskinny Bop is. But, whatever it was, they had nothing more to say. And also, I have nothing more to say. So, thank you once again for joining me. I appreciate it. Please send me some questions about anything to oldheadpodcast at gmail.com and hopefully I can get enough questions to throw together an AMA episode for next time. So, until next time, I'm Steven. Thank you for listening to the Old Head Podcast and I will see you all again next time. Bye.